Boys and girls, I want to thank you tonight for bringing me a crowd to preach to. Man, you've done an excellent job. If you sang up here tonight, thank you for doing that. And I am grateful for this privilege, all right? As you're turning to Acts chapter number 4, Acts chapter number 4, I want to encourage you. I, I failed to do this last week. If you have a teenager uh, who is not plugged into our youth department, I want to encourage you to get them plugged in there. Uh, I, I want them. I want to encourage them. I want to be able to be a part of their life. Uh, you say, well, I... I don't like things that are going on in the youth department. There's too much of this, too much of that. Friend, I, listen, there, there, there's some things that I don't even like. You know what I'm saying? But here's the, the long and the short. Uh, we don't have a lot of time. In fact, we don't know how much time we do have. Just last night, a young man from Watertown stepped out into eternity. You say, well, the youth department wouldn't have made any difference in his life. How do you know? How do you know? And so if you, don't have a, if you have a student uh, who would be in, um, in the age to be in our youth department, I beg you to bring them. If you don't come yourself, you just drop them off out the front door. Now, the preacher will get on to you for that, and I will too. I want everybody here, but I want your students, and I pray that you will get them plugged in. In fact, we've got a very large group going to Hearts on Fire at the end of uh, this week coming up, so you pray for us, all right? Uh, now, I've had something on my mind concerning the election. Can I say something to you in reference to the election before I preach? I got to thinking about this. The church, uh, uh, now, I, Donald Trump is not our Messiah. We realize that. In fact, I, I looked for another candidate to vote for and couldn't find one. I'll just be honest. Um, I, put a, I put a nail in Hillary's coffin. I did. I praise the Lord. I'm grateful I could do that. Uh, but here's what I want to say to you. The church at large... Uh, it's not the time to take a sigh of relief and say, oh, hey, whew, man, we didn't, get, we didn't get Secretary Clinton. No, now is the time for the church to step up and do that which it should have been doing all along. Uh, you've heard Brother Glenn mention the millennials. If we don't reach the millennials in the next four years, you can guarantee the very same agenda will be back on the docket. And so we need to do what the Lord has called us to do. It's time that Hillcrest get back to winning souls. And so let's do it. Will you do it with me? I'm going to do it. And I hope you'll do it with me. Acts chapter number 4. We'll be looking in verse number 23. But let me bring you up to where we are historically. And let me give you what's prompted this message tonight. In In the weeks gone by in the youth department, I've been preaching a series called Impact. Spirit-filled believers making a difference. If we're going to make a difference in this world, in this life that we have, then we are going to have to be filled with the Spirit of God. We see that in the book of Acts, the early church absolutely, totally surrendered to God's Spirit. Okay? And so we're going, that's where we're going. Acts chapter 4, verse number 23. We're going to look at a prayer, the prayer of a, of a Spirit-filled believer. Actually, it'll be part number two of a message I already preached to the youth. And so... I'm going to bring you all the way through Acts chapter, well, really before Acts, all right? We're fixing to get there in just a minute, okay? Historically, here's where we are. Our Lord Jesus has been crucified. The Lamb of God's uh, been slaughtered on Calvary's cross. cross. He has been wrongfully accused and brutally abused. Do you know what I'm saying? Isaiah says he was marred more than any man. The beating that the Lord Jesus took in his physical body uh, uh, before he was placed upon the cross would have been a, a scene so uh, so brutal, so explicit, it would
would have forever been burned in the mind of those in, at Jerusalem. I mean, uh, can you imagine the scene of our Lord's body? Uh, he, uh, the, the crown of thorns being uh, pre- pressed upon his, his brow, the blood running from his face. He, he, was, he was beaten with the fist, beaten to a bloody pulp, scourged uh, with the, the cat of nine tails, and the flesh of, uh, was ripped off his body. And, and all that taking place, he was placed upon the cross. Our, our Lord, around 33 years of age, you do realize he would have been physically fit and have, would, would have had absolutely no problem carrying the cross but he was, but Simon of Cyrene was co- commissioned to carry the cross. You know why? Because the Lord ha- had taken such a, bu- a brutal beating in his body, he was not able physically to continue the carrying of the cross. Friend, listen, the Lord Jesus was absolutely, uh, totally uh, just beaten to a bloody pulp right here, okay? They place him on the cross. He, he, he yields up the ghost. They take him off, place him in a borrowed tomb. That tomb uh, was sealed up by a stone. Uh, what looked like the light of the world being extinguished by the darkness of the devil. Friend, what that looked, that's what it looked like, but it was, that wasn't what was taking place at all. It was in that moment, in those moments, that the Lord was uh, in just a few moments of time leading captivity captive and was going to give gifts to men. Do you understand what I'm saying? Third, three days later, he arose victoriously over the grave. He has walked on the earth some 40 days, being seen by as many as 500 witnesses at one time. Then he ascends into heaven. Acts chapter number one, they watch him, they see him go. Two angels speak unto them, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus so shall come in like manner. So, so, so they've watched him ascend into heaven. They're waiting in the upper room for the power from on high to come and fill them with the, uh, 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 the power, the anointing of God to take place there uh, at Pentecost. It takes place some 10 days after uh, the Lord's ascension. They'd been waiting in the upper room, praying for 10 days. Church, you know, what, what have you been praying for lately? How long have you been praying? Have you spent 10 days praying for anything? They, they, 10 days. Praying, waiting on God. We don't want to spend 10 minutes. Man, we got, we've missed the boat. We're going to see some things right here in Acts chapter number 4 tonight. It's, it's really going to challenge us, challenge us all. And so they're waiting for the Spirit of God, the power from on high. It comes down. It, the, the, it literally, the, the Spirit of God comes down out of heaven uh, glory begins to fill the souls of those who believe. And thank God that same glory that filled their soul fills my soul tonight. And it'll fill the soul of every lost man in the house and in the world if they'll believe. Full. Imagine in that moment. Full. Those 3,000 saved there at Pentecost. Full of glory unspeakable. You know, full of joy and glory unspeakable. Man, think about that. In those moments there gathered on the southern steps of, of Temple Mount there, every one of those 3,000 being able to be baptized in a mikvah right there, and in a moment they're all walking in one accord. Amen. Acts chapter 2 ends, 3 begins. And notice in Acts chapter 3, just look there quickly. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple. At the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, man, there's a ton of truth in that verse right there. 
Those two, Peter and John, prior to the, prior to the resurrection, you would find someone with them. Uh, they were friends and they had been walking with the Lord, but now this is more than friendship. It's fellowship because they are, have shared the like same experience in Jesus Christ. Uh, they have been to the empty tomb together. In fact, if you go back and read the Gospels, you'll find that. They have walked by, been to, been in the, re- the, the tomb where the resurrected Lord lay. Do you understand that? They now are more than friends. They're sharing fellowship in Jesus Christ because they have shared the like same experience of salvation and faith in the resurrection of the dead. And so now they're, they're in fellowship, but notice their focus. They're, they're going up to the temple. Friend, when you go up to the temple, when you go to the temple, it's always up. When you go up to the Lord's house, it's always up. And so here they are, they're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, two times a day, daily worship there at the temple mount in Jerusalem at this time, morning and afternoon. The ninth hour tells us this was the afternoon, all right? It was 3 p.m., but notice the ninth hour was was the very same hour that the Lord of glory was crucified on Calvary's cross. That was the time when he yielded up the ghost, the very moment that darkness covered the earth. The creator of the cosmos had switched off the sun, and the Lord of glory was bearing the guilt of the world. It was there uh, in that same hour, same moment that these two focused on worship. They have fellowship and they're focused on worship. They're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And there as they are, they've entered into the temple complex there in somewhere around the court, in the court of Gentiles. They are about to make their way up what was, is believed to be about 12 steps to the beautiful gate. And and as they would approach those steps, there lay a certain lame man. Been been lame, uh, been laid there at the gate daily, the scripture says. Now that lame man, there's a total, uh, a a, a ton of symbolic truth there in reference to uh, how we're paralyzed in our sin. Do you understand what I'm saying, friend? Hey, listen, that lame man laying there was a picture of what sin will do to every person who falls off in it. Sin will absolutely destroy you, paralyze you, and it will even persecute you until you meet Jesus Christ. And so here we see all that taking place. Uh, Those 12 steps at the beautiful gate. Life wasn't beautiful for the lame man laying there. And no doubt in his mind, I could see in his mind, the thoughts in his mind, that lame man who was laid daily at the gate, no doubt he had seen the Lord Jesus walk by. The Lord Jesus was a visitor of the temple. He would go by, uh, I got to think, laid at the, da- the gate daily. Now you think about this church, and this ain't even part of my sermon, all right? We'll get there. Don't get in a hurry. That lame man laying there. You say, why was he laid at the beautiful gate? Because that's as far as he could go. You see, he was in the court of Gentiles. The Gentiles were unclean. That man, because of sin in his life, was unclean because of his disability was unclean, which is a picture of what sin would do. We're unclean because of sin. He could not enter into, now get this, the court of women, all right, and then the court of the men, the court of Jews, the priests there around the Holy of Holies. He could not go into that court of women because of his condition. Now, Now you do realize what that means, right? He had never been in public praise and worship. Oh, he had heard it from the outside. He'd never been in, been able to take part in his family giving her an offering. Never been able to give part of a, uh, be a part of giving of a sacrifice. Slain man, laid daily, laid daily at the gate. 
Now get the picture right here. It's a pitiful scene. Laying at the very top of those steps, cobblestone, no doubt. Think about the pain in his body. Man, I want you to think about the the pain that sin's caused in your life. Think about the shame in his body. Daily laid there. Groups of people just walking by him. Looking upon his condition. How many of them offered help? How many of them offered to give him something that would encourage him? Here Peter and John, they're walking by. Now get the picture again. They're simply going as they go for the Lord. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go ye therefore. The word, the word usage there, go. It speaks of going as you go. Go as you go. Going for the Lord as you're going daily. You ought be on the go for the Lord Jesus. That's what they're doing, man. They're going up to worship. They're in fellowship. They're focused on, on the Lord. They're going up to the temple to worship. And as they are going, they see that lame man laying there in his need. He's begging for money. Because, listen, because of the Spirit dwelling in Peter and his discernment, Peter hears what he wants, but he sees what he needs. Peter says, hey, you don't need money. You need the Master. And in a moment of faith, he reaches out his hand. He speaks the greatest words this man's ears have ever heard, by the way. And he says, silver and gold have I none. But in the name of... Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reaches down. He reaches down and takes that guy by the hand. And he, no doubt, begins to lift him up. And when he lifts him up, the Scripture says that strength, life, comes into his legs. Do you understand? And in that very moment, there in verse number 8, chapter number 3, we, be, we see the characteristics of a spirit-filled life begin to take place. Look at it right there. Verse number 8. I, I, I want you to just see it. you got to see it, man. Verse number 8. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Wow. Isn't it amazing? How how, how, how this man in just a moment of faith has been influenced from within to praise the Lord. Man, praise God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. That's what he was doing. He, in in a moment of faith, becomes a witness for the Lord Jesus right there immediately, right? All right. And so here we are, verse number 12 we see Peter do something totally radical. This guy, this lame man has been healed and now he's walking, leaping, praising God. Everybody uh, is going uh, crazy over this guy. They they see him and uh, that guy guy was laying right there paralyzed just a few minutes ago. He is walking, praising God. He's been in the temple. He's been to public praise and worship. He has been in the presence of God. Now he's back out here and he's still doing the same thing. What is going on? Peter, there at Solomon's porch, as a multitude gather, he, he seizes opportunity. Radical. Man, this is a picture in your mind. This is like going to Walmart, getting behind the service desk, grabbing the intercom and preaching the gospel. It's, ra- it's, cra- it's crazy, crazy, man. But he does that. He does it. He begins to preach the gospel. Verse, uh, chapter 3 ends, verse 26, to you first. God, having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him, listen, oh listen, to bless you. Friend, there's a thought out there that says Jesus wants to restrict you. There's a thought out there that says Jesus wants to prevent you. And there's some truth that Jesus wants to protect you, uh, prevent you by way of protect. He wants to protect you is what He wants to do. But hear me, 
He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you. If you were to look back in verse number 19, you'd see that uh, Peter said, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Listen, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Can I tell you what sin will do in your life? It'll bring a drought. It'll bring dryness to your soul. Friends, sin will usher in a, 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 a drought a spiritual drought, a a feeling of dirtiness, a feeling of death, and and it will reproduce itself day by day. But Peter says, Jesus wants to bless you. He wants to usher in times of refreshing. You do realize that in the very moment of faith, when you called on the name of Jesus, there was a supernatural transaction that took place And he brought sweet relief through surrender to your crimson-colored soul. Man, isn't that amazing? All right, we're getting closer. Chapter 4, verse number 1. They're arrested. Look at it. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain, the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day. They are being arrested for their faith in this moment. Do you see that? Because they have lifted up Jesus, they are now having hands laid on them and put in detention. Verse number 4 of Acts 4 we see the additions. Do you see it? Verse 4. 5,000. The church has multiplied. It exploded at 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Now she's up to 5,000 just one chapter later. Now watch this. Verse number 5 through 6. Look at the audience. Look at the audience right here. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes... You read in the King James Version, notice the word and... And, and, watch this, verse 6, as well as Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. You see what, what, what Luke the writer is doing? right? He is building the intensity in this moment. Friend, these two peasants, these two fishermen are standing in front of the most powerful, most religious, most authoritative system in all the world right here. The same Sanhedrin that the Lord Jesus stood in front of two months ago. That's where they're at right here. These two. Now I want you to think about this. Jesus was the Lord of glory. We understand him standing in front of them. We, we, we can realize the authority, the one who's in all authority, standing in front of those who are of authority. You see that picture? But now notice something here. These two, who in the eyes of the world have no authority, Jesus has put in front of those who are the authority. Friend, listen to me. I don't know who this is for, but God's going to put some of you in front of some folks. He already has. And He's giving you opportunity. The Lord, the authority in you, the Spirit of God as He lives in you, has put you in front of people and given you opportunity to speak on His behalf, to be a voice in the silence, to be a light in the darkness. What will you do with it? Notice verse number 7. Oh, this is good. Verse number 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, they asked, by what power 
or by what name have you done this? You see that? You see that? I'm going to touch, on, touch base there again in a minute. Verse number 12, 8 through 12. Look, Peter begins to give his address. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be made known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Verse 13, verse 12, excuse me, nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Mm. Get the picture there, man. They're standing before the authorities. And Peter says, you must be saved. Friend, if you're not saved, you're lost. And if you don't get saved, you'll go to hell. Now watch this, watch this. In verse 13, the authority. The authority. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they'd been with Jesus. Listen to me, every preacher, and every young preacher, I'm a young preacher too. Listen, I'm not picking on you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, all right? Education is good and it is necessary. I want it. I need it. Training is good. It is necessary. I want it. I need it. And our churches need it. But nothing compares to being with Jesus. Just get with Jesus. And so we see that. That's the authority right there. Verses 15 through 17, we're coming. We're coming to the place of my scripture. We're getting there. 15 through 17, we see the adjudication. They, they, are, they are in agreement. The council is meeting, man. Uh, and notice what it's all about, verses 16 and 17. It's all about the power in the name. That's what it's all about, man. It's all about it. Look at, look at what he says. Look what he says. Verse 16. For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in his name. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Friend, it's about the power in the name. Oh, I love that song. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. You say, Brother Shane, uh, the Lord hadn't broke my chains. Well, friend, you have not submitted to the authority in His name. He has the power in His name. Notice as we're going here, notice their answer. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered. Oh, I like this. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Friend, John was doing that all the way up until the book of First John. He's still in the Revelation. He was doing that all the way to the grave. He done that. I think it'd be a good idea if we'd do that, don't you? Hey, if we'd go out of here and we'd just speak the things that we've seen and heard, imagine what Lebanon would think about us. They'd really think we're crazy. But friend, listen to me. Oh, listen. To whom much is given, much is required. Hillcrest Baptist Church, we've got to get that, man. We have got to embrace that truth because we have been given the absolute very best. I'm going somewhere here in a minute. 
Notice verse 23. We see Peter and John's releasing and being let go. There it is in that moment, verse 23. Uh, they've been let go. The Sanhedrin has threatened them. They, uh, they, they've threatened to do harm to them. They're let go. You see it right there? L-E-T-G-O, let go. Complete freedom in those two words right there. They could have went anywhere, done anything. Notice what they do. They went to their own company. That word company, you see that word? It means acquaintances. It carries the idea of those being of like same mind, sharing the like same experience. Now listen to me. If that verse had been written in this day and being let go, the second part of that probably wouldn't have been there. You say, why? Well, the first thing that the the modern church would want to do would go get lawyered up. I'm going to get me a lawyer. Uh, Some of them would have probably went and got liquored up. You hear what I'm telling you? But these went to those who love the Lord. Do you see that? Our own company. Now look, they released and they report and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. You say, Brother Shane, why in the world would they do that? They just going to get them stirred up. Man, are they a bunch of... They, is that gossip? Would that, friend, listen to me. What had just happened to them in the verses prior was coming to all those in the company. It was. It was. Now, church, let's think about something right here. Who's in the company? Who's in the company? That lame man's in the company. Uh, Peter's wife is in the company. Peter's children... If you had children's in the company, John's family, they're all in the, the 120, those other 10, uh, eight, uh, nine men that walk with the Lord Jesus, they're in, all of their families are in the company. Can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? Because they had walked with Jesus, they had seen the resurrected Lord. Now, watch this their whole families were converted because it was real them. This wasn't no Mickey Mouse Christianity. It was real. Now, now, now get this, get this, get this. They go to their own companions. Church, your children are in this church. My children are in this church. If I don't present before them an authentic Christianity, a true Christianity, one that says I die to myself daily. By the way, do you know how Paul could say I die daily? Do you know that? Hey, we want the power of God active in our life. Do we not? I want it. I want it. Let me be honest. I want it. I want to see God do something every time I preach the gospel. I want to see God do something every time I have opportunity. God's doing something right now, and I thank Him for it. But hear what I'm going to say to you. We pray for the hand of God, the power of God. Paul said, I die daily. Know how he died daily? He wasn't seeking just the power of God. He was seeking the face of God. You do remember in the Old Testament, no man could look upon God and live. Church will die daily when we get up every morning and begin to look at the face of God. Make a difference in your life. Make a difference in my life. Notice, they being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. I don't know how this went down, but 
But I know there's 5,000 at least in the church right now. They're lifting their voice to God with one accord. One accord. Can you imagine? The church has never seen a day like this today. We've never seen that. Now, now what, 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 what do they do? They begin to praise God for His power. Lord, your God with, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Do you see that? His omnipotence. Now watch this. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed... Both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and purpose determined before to be done. They praise him for his omnisciency. Do you see that? They begin, if they're all quoting, if they're all praying with one voice, 5,000, can you imagine? Now, I may be wrong. Okay, I, re- I realize that. It may have been just Peter leading the prayer, all right? But they're in one accord right here. Hearts are bound together. They're so knit together by God. In this moment, Spirit of God leading this prayer, one accord. Whether they're verbalizing it or not, they're all got it in their mind. Do you understand what's happening right here? They're lifting their voice in one accord, and they are dwelling on or speaking verbally an Old Testament scripture that many believers don't even know is in the Bible. You see that? You see that right there? It is a scripture that has both messianic and prophetic tones. It has been partially fulfilled at the cross, but it will be completely fulfilled at Armageddon. Now, they are quoting this, praying to God. Notice what happens. Notice what happens right here. Every time Peter preaches... He lays the guilt on the people. Now look right here, verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus. King James reads child right there where servant is. Holy child, you see it right there? But watch this. Holy, holy child whom thou hast anointed. Do you see that? Now get the picture right here. Holy child, holy servant Jesus. I'm not, I'm not changing the scripture. I'm not adding to it. I'm not taking, it's a translation of the word, okay? So just understand that. Holy child. Do you really, you see that word anointed? That word speaks of the anointing of the Spirit of God. Now, in the Old Testament, it was a practice to anoint with oil. Uh, you find uh, where Moses would anoint Aaron and his sons. Uh, so, uh, uh, Samuel anointed Saul and David, both as king. The Lord Jesus was anointed by, in the Scripture uh, on uh, maybe three different occasions found in four Gospels, actually, uh, of a, by a woman, uh, anointed him with oil, and she began to wash his feet with her, with her tears and her hair. Do you remember those, those, those? You find that four different places in the Scripture. Now listen. Holy child Jesus, holy servant Jesus, have you reading that? Whom thou hast anointed. Can I say something to you, church? If you want the anointing of God, there's two things that's got to come before your name. Holiness, and you've got to be a child of God but a servant of God. In just a few verses right here, they are going to reference themselves as thy servants. 
Church, if you want the anointing of God on your life, you must live a holy life. Now, I'm not talking about getting born again. You can be saved in a moment of faith in the twinkling of an eye. At salvation, the Spirit of God moves in you. You are anointed with the Spirit of God. He lives in you, dwells in you, taking up residence. I'm talking about the visible, active anointing of God in your life to where people can see that you've been with Jesus. That's what they saw about those two old boys. They'd been with Jesus. And so here's the picture If I want the anointing of God in my life, I need to serve Him with all my heart. And I need to live a life of holiness before God. That's a characteristic of an individual who is anointed to live by holiness. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determine. Verse 28, verse 29. Now, Lord... These individuals, Spirit-filled believers are praying. Now, Lord... Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. They do not, friend, listen, they do not ask God to remove this situation. They ask God for strength to stand in the situation. Church, we, I'm guilty. I've had to evaluate my own prayer life. Because see, I won't, I want the protection of God on my children. Dear God, I want the protection of God on my children. I do. I want God to protect my family. But these old boys right here have just been put in prison for their faith. They've been mistreated, shamefully mistreated, and threatened. In fact, in just a few chapters, the ravenous wolf of Benjamin, who is Saul, is coming, breathing threats on their throat. Consenting unto their deaths. But they don't pray for God to remove them from that situation. They pray that God would give them strength to speak the Word of God boldly. Now can I say to you, you can't speak the Word of God boldly if you don't even know the Word of God. Amen? The Word's got to get into you you got to get in the Word before the Word will get into you. But once it gets into you, it'll get out of you if you'll walk in boldness. And so that's what he's saying right here. God, he says, you know everything. You know everything from eternity past. You know everything about me. Now, Lord, look on their threats. You see my situation. Now help me. Help me to give you glory. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your Word. Now watch this. They ask for courage, then they ask for confirmation. Verse 30. By stretching out your hand to heal. Look right here. Look right here. Isn't that what just happened at the beautiful gate? Oh, listen to me, church. Listen. Peter reaching out that hand. He was asking God to do the very same thing he had just done. Now listen to me. What if... What if on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Hillcrest Baptist, every member, I don't, I don't, whether you've been a member last week, last year, or, or, or since the church was built, listen to me. What if we came in this place on Sunday morning and come before the Lord? God, I know you just did it, but I want you to do it again. God, I know you healed one last week, but God, could you just do it again today? God, I know you saved somebody last night, last week. Would you do it again today?
I've been here almost six years. Hear my heart. I told the Lord I'd tell you. I'm going to tell you. First two years I was here, supernatural. It wasn't me. I'm not saying that. Don't get the wrong idea. God was here. Need God? He's here. He's here tonight. I'm not discounting that. Don't miss what I'm saying. The first two years I watched God do something I'd never seen Him do before. Supernatural. Every time you pull in the parking lot, conviction. In the building, conviction. Every classroom, there was a sense, just an overwhelming sense of the Spirit of God in this room. It was contagious. The climate changed. Church, I don't know what your life looks like tonight. But I'll tell you this much. I've had to do some soul searching of my own. I'm speaking to my heart. Don't come to me tonight and ask me what was going on, all right? This is not what I'm looking for. I'm trying to communicate a truth right here. About two months ago, I was so fed up, frustrated in my flesh. I was fed up with some things. Now listen to me. I had a choice to make. I had a choice to make. I could continue like I was. Or I could walk by faith. And this is what I said to the Lord. I said, God, you told me in your word. If I draw near to you, you draw near to me. God, the best I know how I'm drawing near to you. And I began to pray that. That week I had three preaching engagements. And I watched God. I watched Him work in my life. I preached at the Watertown volleyball team and I saw two young ladies get saved. I preached at Winfrey Bryant football team and a whole pile of them prayed to receive Christ. I went to the Watertown football team and a young man prayed to receive Jesus. I needed that. I needed to know that God was going to work in my life. And church, if there's ever been a day when you need to know that God's going to work in your life, it's today. I don't know what your life looks like. But I know this, if you don't sense the hand of God in your life like you once did, uh, there's only two kind of people. Those are going forward and those are going backwards. And if you're not advancing in the faith, friend, you've backed up on God. I went to Honduras and I saw God do some wonderful things. Our team saw God use us there. And God is still saving people here today. And, and, and listen to me. Listen, I know, I know the thought. We've been through a dry spell. I understand that, but hear me. I'm not going to accept the dry spell because we're not the standard. The Spirit of God in us can do so much with us if we just submit to Him. The Lord Jesus is our standard. He gave us everything. He gave us everything. He left glory for you and for me. And as we walk in our complacency, friend, we're wasting time. We don't have time to waste. Notice what happens. You say, Brother Shane, will that stuff still happen today? Friend, listen to me. 
God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't believe that the gift of healing is still here in the activity that it was today, but the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Friend, God can do anything. And I know we, we don't believe, we don't believe in speaking in tongues in the activity of, of our churches today. We don't believe that, that the gift of tongues is still active. But hear me, God can still do anything. If he chooses to take a missionary on the other side of the world and preach the gospel to a bunch of Vietnamese and he can't speak, he can give him the gift of tongues to speak if he wants to. God is the God of the impossible. Friend, God can rescue you tonight from whatever it is that you're facing. I don't know your situation, but I know the same God that was speaking to them. They, look, look at this. Notice this. Verse 24, Lord, you are God. The early church had no problem identifying Jesus Christ as God. They addressed him as Lord. You're God. Friend, he's God. He's God. We can be the most doctrinally sound church in America. But if the pew doesn't put it in place in their life, if the preacher don't put it in place in his life, friend, what are we doing? It's time we start walking by the Spirit's guidance. As the, I'm not talking about getting crazy. Please hear me. But if the Spirit of God lives in your heart, I, I shared this truth and I'll quit, I know I shared this truth with our teenagers this morning. As you go through life, and you sense God's Spirit speaking to your heart, and you do not respond to the Spirit speaking in your heart, you know what happens? You're going you're gonna to identify with it. Amen. The Spirit of God will quit speaking to you. Amen. And there'll be a drought. You know why? Because you quench the Spirit of God. I wonder how many on Sunday morning in the last three years quenched the Spirit of God. I have. I have. Now listen. Do you know why God you know why God quit speaking to you? you say, Brother Shane, why in the world would God quit speaking to me? Because you didn't listen. Now listen. 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 Spiritual ears right here. I know my ears are big. Don't make fun of them. I learned this truth. I I just learned it. Brother Jeff Labor. God quit speaking to you by His grace. Why would He speak to you again when you didn't obey that thing that he asked you to do to begin with. Yeah, amen. Because if he speaks to you again, he's going to speak greater judgment. Yeah. Now church, I'm, I'm being real with you tonight. I'm being real. And I'm asking you tonight. I'm asking you, every person in this building, if we've quenched the Spirit of God, there's only one 
cure. Repentance. Open. Open. Public. Repentance. Unashamed. Coming before Jesus as the only one who can heal our problem.